0: I'm so thankful for Scott and Jesse and the whole team leading us today. They made a tremendous effort to be here. Very thankful for all those uh, who are working in sound and in technology to bring this service to you today. Uh, It's a great joy to be with you and to ask you to follow along if you have a Bible there with you in John chapter 7. And we're going to read from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And if you're new with us, tuning in, we're in the middle of this very brief celebratory season on Rise and Build, and we're giving thanks to God in particular for the construction of Harpeth House. Harpeth House is a next-generation student ministry center designed not only for the student ministry here at Christ Community, but for students all over Williamson County. But critical to that name, Harpeth House is the river that flows right next to it and of course goes right the way through our area and it reminds us of the great river of life that flows from the throne of god and flows out to the whole world and last week we were in ezekiel 47 and we noted how the prophet there said everything will live where the river goes that's what god is doing bringing life to the dead places it's a resurrection and renewal river that God invites us to be part of. Come out ankle deep, come out knee deep, come out waist deep, and then it became, Ezekiel said, a great river. His feet couldn't find the bottom. He's carried along in the purposes of God. Jesus picks up on that image of a river, and he does it in this particular text in John chapter 7 in a unique setting. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the third of Israel's great feasts, you know, Passover and Pentecost, and then Tabernacles. And of all of those three, this was the party. This was the most celebratory feast of them all. It went on for a week and still celebrated today. People um, lived in little huts constructed there in Jerusalem and all around their hometowns, and they did this to commemorate how when they were leaving Egypt and on their way to the promised land while they're going on this tremendous journey through a terrible wilderness, God met them there. The priests would walk around for seven days, the altar that was outside in the main courtyard there of the temple, and they would pour these giant pitchers of water out until the last day, the great day, the biggest day of the whole festival. And there was no water poured out on that day, on the This day, the great day of the feast, the most celebrated day, and on that day, Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd. And that's what we're reading about here in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be recorded for us today. Let that same spirit inscribe them on our hearts and minds today that our lives might be transformed and our minds renewed. Amen. So we are a people who are accustomed to an abundance and availability of water and a purity of water and accessibility to water, which we just take for granted until it's not there. Uh, that's happened to me on feast days. Here it says the great day of the feast. Um, one Easter uh, in, in South Texas, we had gone through 61 straight days of triple digits, and everything was baked. It was a terrible drought, and suddenly you flip on the, uh, you flip on the faucet and there's no water. Nothing's coming out. And it, it turns out that all of the well systems had begun to dry up. Well, that's disconcerting. But let me give you a worse day. Christmas Day. Christmas Day. This, just this last Christmas. After getting, and thank God at least the coffee was made, right? But, but you know, I mean, the critical issues. And, and then right in the middle of Christmas dinner and everything that that entails and all the washing up that has to happen, open up the faucet, nothing's coming out. Nothing's coming out at all. Yeah, I think, oh, no, we've got, a, we've got a broken line. We've got some broken pipes or something like that. Well, no, no, there, there was a problem in the main. And everyone up and down the road where we lived had their water out, not just for an hour or two, but the whole day. And how thankful we were when that water finally came back on. That was just one day, just one day, the great day of feasting in our house without water. Israel, of course, had a 40-year journey that they were making towards the promised land. And in that journey, all of those people needed an ample supply of water. And God met them. Water, it says, flowed from the rock. Paul picks up on that in his letter to the Corinthians, and he says the rock that was following them through the wilderness was Christ himself, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Christ was the rock and the water flowed from him. Where did Paul get that theology that water came from the rock, that it came from Christ, that Christ was the one who supplied God's people? Well, he got it right from the words of Jesus, which John records here for us, for thirsty people. What's interesting about it is that he invites us to do something that not only satisfies the longing of our own souls, but becomes something in us, which coming from us begins to satisfy the souls of other people. Now, before we dig into this, I have to just tell you that scholars of the New Testament have a debate going about exactly how to translate John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38 in particular. They, they present some textual difficulties. Of course, Jesus didn't say these words in Greek. He said them in Aramaic, and then they were taken. So as I just read to you, we find, uh, as the ESV puts it here, uh, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So that says if you believe in Jesus, then... Out of your heart will flow a river. But there's a a different way of punctuating that text. And the uh, New English translation puts it this way. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scripture says, from within him will flow a river of living water. And that says the river flows from Christ. So in the one case, the river flows from us because we've drunk from Christ, and the other one, the river flows from him so we can drink. And you're sitting there this morning going, well, pastor, which one is it? Well, if you've listened to me at all for the last few years, you already know the answer to the question, don't you? The answer is yes. The answer is, of course, it's both. When we run into some ambiguity from time to time, it's an invitation to consider all the angles. First of all, Christ is the source of our life. That's number one. Jesus is the one who, just as he gave water in the wilderness for the people of Israel, is standing up here in Jerusalem in the middle of this remarkable celebration, this great ritual which is taking place and saying that The ritual is pointing to a reality which you can find only in me. Come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. There's a river that flows from me that will give you life. But of course, secondly, it is also true to say that the grace that God gives to us is never just for us. Paul later, writing to the Ephesians, said, you know the grace of God that was given to me for you. To the Corinthians, he said, the manifestation of the Spirit, who is central to this text, is given to each person for the benefit of everyone else. So what God does in you is never just for you. What God does in you is to do something for you that then flows out from you for his glory and the benefit of everyone around you. So there's a river that not only flows from Jesus from which we drink, But having taken one sip of the grace of the Spirit that Jesus gives, it becomes in us a river that flows out to other people. Jesus doesn't have just a little bit of water. He has enough to slake the thirst of all of those thousands gathered in Jerusalem. Come to me. He's got a river that's flowing towards us. But then that river from which we drink that flows from his love becomes... In us, a river that flows out to other people. That's important for us to catch that we are part of this great river of life that is flowing, and it leads to the recapturing of joy, the recapturing of first love, and the gathering in of others that are swept up into the currents of God's mercy and grace. Now, I, I don't know what your favorite Disney movie is, and maybe you don't even have a favorite Disney movie. I don't know, maybe you even don't like Disney. I don't know. I don't I don't go to Disney World much. It's called the Magic Kingdom because you've never seen your money disappear so fast. But but uh right, am I right? I'm right, I'm right, I know I'm right. Okay. I'm getting a couple amens, but it's only because there's just a couple of people here. Okay. So what's happening on this Disney movie thing? Well, they introduce some remarkable characters, and they're usually compelling and fun. And one of my all-time favorites, just to confess to you, is finding Love Crush, who's a stoner sea turtle, who's kind of a, a, you know, very hip surfboard kind of guy. And uh, when uh, the father who's searching for Nemo and Dora figure out that Nemo has been swimming south and there he's got a huge head start, how are they going to get there? They bump into Crush, this stoner sea turtle. And of course, he meets them with dudes. (laughs) <laughs> and he says to them, I'm not going to do my full crush impersonation here, but dudes, you need to catch the EAC. Hitch a ride on the EAC. What's the EAC? Well, it's the East Australian Current. Well, that's not just mythology. The EAC is really there. And it runs along the eastern coast of, of Australia. And it's this incredible body of water. It's 62 miles wide and a mile deep and underwater under ocean current that is flowing at a rapid speed which when you get in it it's going to take you places and it will remove you with remarkable power why well imagine for just a second an olympic-sized swimming pool can you see something that big how big is that current that current of the EAC is 960,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools being moved along every minute. Almost a million Olympic-sized swimming pools just being forced along. This river that Ezekiel sees, that brings life to the whole world, is bigger and swifter than the EAC. And when you get in the middle of what God is doing, He will carry you places. And Jesus says to these people in Jerusalem, If you'll come to me and take one drink, what Ezekiel saw is going to flow from you. That's a remarkable statement because what does that say? Let me give you a couple of things. Here's the first one You have become the temple. In Ezekiel, he saw the the river of life bringing life to the whole world that was flowing from the temple. Now, if you have this river inside of you and it's flowing from you, that makes you now the temple of the living God. Paul picks up on that both personally and congregationally. He says to each of us personally, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? But then secondly, he says to the whole congregation, don't you know that you collectively all together are a temple of the Holy Spirit? What is a church? What is a congregation? A congregation is not an aggregation. An aggregation is just a group of people who happen to meet together to do something and then they disperse. They all go to a football game or a basketball game or a hockey match and they they go to a concert and then they disperse. They have a kind of common interest, but they don't have anything really of shared life together and they just disperse. That's an aggregation, but a congregation. Now a congregation, that's a community of people who have been built together by the Holy Spirit To become the temple of God on the earth. And out of that congregation flows life. In other words, a church does not exist for itself. In a certain sense, you can say the church is the only organization on earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. It is built together to be a place from which the life of God goes out into all the world. But here's the second thing. Jesus says... Again, using both senses of this text, that I'm the one who's the source of the river. That means he's the temple. And that's right. Jesus says in John's gospel early on, talking to some people who were his opponents, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. They said, what are you talking about? How can you, look at this temple. It took took years to build this temple. What do you mean tear it down and in three days I'll rebuild it? But Jesus, of course, as the text goes on to say, was referring to his own body and the resurrection. That after dying on the cross, he was raised from the dead on the third day. And this means that he is the source of our life. So Christ is the source of our life, and he brings us together so that we can give life from him to the whole world. We don't have any life in ourselves from ourselves, but we have life to give to people because Christ Christ, who is the life and the light of the world lives. He says, Jesus was talking about the Spirit who those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet, when Jesus was saying these words, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does that mean? It means that Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't been buried. He hadn't been resurrected. He hadn't ascended to the Father's right hand. By the time this letter's been written, this gospel's been written, those events had taken place. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and when he was seated there at the Father's right hand, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. So the people who are reading this, they know what he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who is given into our lives to bring us to life, to make Jesus believable and beautiful to us, to show us the revelation of God in Christ in the Scriptures, to convict us of our sins, to assure us of God's pardon, and that we are his children, to bring us into a relationship with the Father so that we cry out by the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father. And we're in this, not just proximity to God, but a relationship with God, which is an unbreakable bond that he establishes between us in his love and in his mercy. The Holy Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit then becomes the one who, because he is upon you and gives you gifts, you are able to go to others with those gifts and share the love of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, the gospel with other people. That's why a church doesn't just come together to worship in the Spirit. The church is on a mission in the power of the Spirit. So we sit under the words of Jesus inspired by the Spirit, we lift our hearts to God in the Spirit of worship, and then we go in the power of the Spirit on the mission in which He has sent us. That's what we're to be engaged in. That's why the river flows from us. We don't invite people to ourselves. We don't say, come to Christ's community and you will live. You would say, come to Jesus and you will live. The church can't save anyone, but Jesus will save everyone who comes to him. That's why these next words in the text are so important. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow this river of life. If anyone is thirsty, that's a word of description. Psychologists will tell you that thirst, from an internal psychological standpoint, is an aspect of frustration. That's how they describe interior thirst. Well, you're frustrated. But it isn't just frustration, is it? It's the profound awareness that no matter what we accumulate with regard to possessions, or achieve with regard to profession, or what we bring into our lives in terms of persons, every single one of those, if we think that they will bring us life, leave us with a sense of falling short. I thought if I just married this person, my heart would be full. I thought if I just acquired this home or this car, then I'd be satisfied. I thought that if I got to this place in my career, then my heart would be full. And every single time we get to those things, we discover that the pleasure is very temporary, that those things had built into them a sodium content that simply increased the thirst rather than satisfying it. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty... Come to me. Can I ask you a question? Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty? Or are you satisfied? Do you think I've had enough? I've got enough Jesus. I've enough God. I have enough religion. Jesus says, if you're thirsty, to people who are in the temple, people who are on pilgrimage, people who are there in the middle of a great religious celebration and festival, people who are people of faith, if you're thirsty. Because here's the truth. You can even be in church and do all the church stuff and still find that you're missing Jesus. Because the ritual, potent as it is, is not the same thing as the reality. Jesus says, I'm the reality to which the ritual points. If you're thirsty, it's not surprising. You need to come to me. It's one thing to come to church. It's another thing to come to Jesus. If you're thirsty, come to me. That's a word of invitation. Come to me. Come to me. You can invite people to many things. Come to this concert. Come to this talk. Come to this prayer meeting. Come to my house for dinner. All of it completely legitimate. But at the end of the day, people have to come to Jesus Can I ask you a question? Again, have you come to Jesus? Have you had that realization in your life that you weren't pretty good and just needed some help, but that you were a sinner in need of a Savior, that you were utterly lost and you needed someone to find you, that you were terminally sick and you needed the great physician and Him alone to heal you? That you were so broken that you could not fix yourself, but that God in his mercy had sent the carpenter to come and restore you. Come to him. Come to Jesus. And then listen to this word of promise. If you will drink from Jesus, then there will be something that flows out of you. Not just fills you up, but flows from you. The life that fills you up will begin to flow out from you. You will not only have a soul which is saturated with the love and the mercy of Jesus, you'll begin to be part of a people that saturate our city with the love and the mercy of God. That's what Harpeth House is all about saturating souls with the gospel of Jesus, saturating this city with the gospel of Jesus, and everything will live where the river flows. That's why the church is still in the world. If if the mission was over, we'd we'd be no more here in this world. We'd be with the Lord, but we're here. There's a mission to go on, and it's not always easy, but we're called to it, and we take it up, not in our own strength, but in the Power of that current that carries us along and everything will live where the river flows. It's not the last time, of course, in John's gospel that Jesus talked about thirst. Later, not much later, after this feast of Tabernacles, he would come back to Jerusalem and everyone would hail him as king and then within, within a few days he'd be betrayed He'd be denied. He would be falsely accused in a trial and found worthy of death and hung on a cross. And as he hung there between heaven and earth, he cried out, I thirst. Here on this festival, he said, Do you thirst? If you're thirsty, I have water for you that will fill you up. Means he went to the cross, and at the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. I thirst. While he was hanging there on the cross, and the people there at the base of the cross heard him say that, they dipped a sponge in some wine and they held it up to him and they said, Well, let's give him something to drink. And he turned his face away. What was there was some sour wine, it was used as a painkiller. And Jesus refused the painkiller. He refused the thing that would deaden his senses and his mind to the suffering that he was undergoing both physically and psychically and spiritually in that moment. He refused that drink. And he did it because there was another drink he was taking in. In the Garden of Gethsemane, don't you remember it? He prayed, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it do so. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What was the cup? What was the cup? The prophets all tell us it was the cup of the wrath of God that sin calls forth and deserves. And Jesus drank that cup. It says he drank it down to the dregs. He drank that cup. And just before he did, he turned to all of his disciples And he said, handing them the cup of blessing in that Passover supper that night. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it, all of you. He gave us a cup to drink, and he still does. It's a cup of blessing. It's a cup of communion with him because he, listen to this, he thirsted for you. He thirsted for you for communion with you. I'm I'm going to drink a cup with you in the kingdom, he said. I'm not going to drink any more of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in the kingdom. Jesus, my friends, is thirsty for you. He thirsts for fellowship with you, and he says to you, if you're thirsty, come to me. I've got drink for you. And when he died, a Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear, and out of his side flowed a river of water and blood. Blood to cleanse us. Water to give us life. And because Jesus' blood cleanses us from every sin, and because the water flows to give us life, my friends, because Jesus thirsted for us, he was more thirsty for us than a than the thing that would have taken away the pain and the suffering, he was willing to endure it all so that you and I could be with him forever. My friends, this Savior who gave his life for you, who died and rose for you, says, come to me. Don't just come to church. Come to me. That kind of love, my friends, is the kind of love that really will fill a heart. It'll fill a heart. It'll fill a life. That's the kind of love that you really can give to your friends and your neighbors and your family members and your colleagues. The kind of love that really does fill up a life. And if you drink deeply from Jesus, just that one drink, you'll not only find your own soul slaked finally at last, but you'll find that one drink flowing from the mighty current of God's love will become in you a river that flows to other people. And you'll be caught up in the mission of Jesus and his life for the whole world. I pray that for all of us listening here today, and so you will become also someone from whom the river flows to give his love to other people. Let's pray for those ends. Lord, you are the one in whom we have life. You thirsted for us And we thirst for you. Grant us, we pray, life in you and the power and grace of your spirit so that life might flow from us to others. And we ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Bless you, my friends. If today you found that that message impacts you, that you've come to Jesus, that you have... Asked him to become your life and that you have become active, reactivating again your life in the great mission that he's doing. Email us. Let us know. We want to contact you and help you and encourage you. Bless you, my friends.